Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. First of all, it's, it's when, the, when the lights come on, the priests come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. It is another glorious day in the city of Louisville, and by glorious, I mean rainy, cold, and dreary. But you know what? None of that matters because Louisville fans have had themselves a pretty good last seven days. I'm Louisville Report Deputy Editor, joined by former Louisville student manager and player Vince Lococo, and we've got another slightly more cheery, more happy episode of From the Pink Scenes for you guys. We are short one Jacob Lane tonight because, you know, he's dealing with kiddo issues and you know you know him he wouldn't miss it if things if uh you know shit was not absolutely hitting the fans so you know thoughts and prayers to our brother in arms over there but it's okay the show goes on over here and we have a lot to get into it was um in case you had your head burying the sand around here it was it was a big week for Louisville athletics it seems like every Louisville athletic team taking part in any sort of competition this past week had a victory of sorts. Guys from off former players were doing well. We'll get to that in a moment. And I think first and foremost, the reason why you're here, Louisville football played their best football, not only of the season, but it resulted in a win. And and Vincent, I don't think he could be much more happier than what we saw. I was ecstatic leaving that game. That was the most fun I've ever had as a fan at a U of L game. And the only reason I wouldn't say at that stadium at all is because I was a part of that 2016 team to beat Florida State. <laughs> that is the only other reason. This game here, standing at the alley, the beer lines, hearing our fans, oh, we're going to get drummed, no O-line, <laughs> this, that, the other. You see more UCF fans and Louisville fans almost there. They, they, there were a fair amount of UCF fans, I will say that. They did travel well. They traveled very, very well. I mean, they're Big 12 now, man. They're big time. <laughs> of course they travel well. <laughs> All right. And obviously we have loads to get into. In case you didn't know, Louisville had a 42-35 win over UCF. A, a thriller captured on a game-winning pick six by a true freshman playing his first snap of the game. But we'll get into that in a moment. I want to talk about some stuff, like just briefly some stuff away from, you know, current players. I'd be remiss if we didn't, you know, touch a little bit about Lamar Jackson and his humongous night the other night against the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, his, his box score, I mean, it's not the most outrageous Lamar Jackson stat we've ever seen. 18 for 26, 239 with a touchdown and a pair of picks. Went over, over the century mark and rushing. But all of that was in an effort to take down the newfound evil empire. The, the Patriots are no longer the evil empire. Now it's the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Honey Badger and all those guys. The monkey finally came off of Lamar Jackson's back and he took down the Chiefs to the tune. Where's the score? 36-35. Sorry. I didn't actually get to watch <laughs> watch the game at the end. My girlfriend and I were busy and we ended up falling asleep mad early. So I didn't get to see the ending of this crazy game. And I know it sounds awful. You can go ahead and revoke my football fandom card now, but 
as you can tell, I'm still excited because, you know, it seems like Lamar haters want to bring up everything and anything to kind of discredit what he does. And this this was one of them. Now, granted, it, if this is going to be a knock on him, you can have a knock on, you know, half the NFL for not being able to take down the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and that just juggernaut of a team. Exactly. But, you know, he finally did it and he did it in his home crowd. And the, this was a win they needed. If they didn't get this, they're going to go. So 0 and 2 on the season, put themselves behind the eight ball for the rest of the season. And this was a game that many people thought the Ravens were going to get beat decisively, myself included, just because the Chiefs are that good. But yeah, I'm not, it's just exciting to see. I, I I am a I wouldn't say I'm a Ravens fan. I guess I guess you could call me a Ravens fan because I never really had an NFL team before Lamar got into the NFL. So I cheer for Lamar. And uh Hollywood Brown, I think, put it the best. Uh, the, the reporter asked him a question along the lines of uh, what's it take to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs team, the evil empire, and Hollywood said something along the lines of just having Lamar Jackson. That That is yeah, how you pretty beat much. Pat. That's how, that's how you beat Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. And that guy, every time he walks out on the field, it, it didn't matter who we played from those two years I was on the team with him. I had supreme confidence that we were going to be at least – you know, in an opportunity or have a chance to win that game. And I guarantee you his teammates in the NFL are feeling the same thing right now. Yeah, only a handful of NFL quarterbacks, only a handful of NFL offenses can go toe-to-toe with them. I mean, the list is already short. You've got Tom Brady. Uh, the Raiders will occasionally sneak in there. We're playing them twice a year. And then you now you have Lamar Jackson. I mean, I know this is just a regular season game. The grand scheme of things There's going to be, what, six, 15 more like that to but I mean, this it's it's hard not to act like this wasn't a huge momentum shift for the Ravens and everything going forward. Because I mean, like I said earlier, they lose this, they're 0 and 2, and they're they're climbing an uphill battle as it pertains, you know, fighting for a playoff spot. Yep. No, I mean, no, no doubt there. It was I, I was just happy to see that to see that smile back on his face. And like you said, getting that monkey off his back, I'm it, it just made me so happy as a Louisville fan, as one of his former teammates to just see him go out there and get that done. And with all the injuries they had too, it was incredible to see him just go out there and do his thing. And he's not throwing any blame on anyone or anything. They were asking him about the tackles and the O-line coming the uh, coming off that Raiders loss. And I mean, he took ownership. He said, I trust these guys. And that's what Lamar Jackson gets you to do. Lamar Jackson gets you to buy in to Lamar and to the team and to going to win these games. And, and I know several people have said it, but I don't think Lamar could have been inserted into a better situation than he did in Baltimore. Because how many other coaches out there are going to go out to their quarterback and say, hey, you want to go for it? Because nine times out of 10, the shoes on the other foot, the quarterbacks going up to the coach and say, hey, can we go for it? Can we go for it? John Harbaugh is going out tomorrow and be like, hey, you want to go for it? Yeah, I mean, like, Aaron Rodgers. No, I, I don't see the Packers head coach going up to Aaron Rodgers and being like, hey, Aaron, you want to go for this one? How, how do you no. feel about this one, Aaron? Did no, the way Jeopardy answer on this. <laughs> no, the way that Aaron Rodgers kind of held the Packers in limbo, I highly doubt that Matt Lafleur <laughs> has that kind of a not not to say confidence because obviously you have confidence in the reigning MVP, but I, I, I don't think he's going to throw him going quite like that. Yeah. But you never know. That's why they play the games. But anyways, now let's get back into the actual games on Louisville's campus. As we know now, Louisville pulled off a thrilling, stunning insert adjective here game against the central Florida golden Knights. They shall be henceforth called as golden on a permanent basis because they deserve to, after being dealt that L 
Louisville captured a 42-35 win, like I said, on a game-winning pick six by true freshman linebacker Jalen Alderman with 13 seconds left. And it's hard to understate how important this game was because heading into this game, there was, I mean, there was almost no confidence in Louisville to win this game, period. But if, if Louisville loses this to fall to one and two, they're in real jeopardy of, you know, setting themselves up for a disappointing about the way of the season. And not only did they go out and look good against, you know, a team that's like a couple of votes away from being a ranked opponent, but they looked good doing it. And this was the first time, I know it's only three games in the season, but it was the first time all season that Louisville really looked good playing football. It, it was exciting to see. And just with make, that freshman Jalen coming in and making that play, I remember the staff being so high on this guy and just so happy that we got him. And, you know, if coach, if D Nick is throwing him out there, for the one of those last plays of the game, like I, he's got to have the utmost confidence in him that he's going to go out there and make a play, and that's exactly what Jalen did. And I already know Coach D Nick was fired up. Come on with it, all of it. He was ready to roll. I guarantee it. So, and the fact that he only went in there because Monty was hurt was, was just crazy. And thank God that Monty's fine. It, most of the players who got banged, dinged up during that game are fine, and a lot of guys went down. Kytrell Clark went down for the last couple series of the first half. Monty Montgomery went down like the second to last play of the game. Malik Cunningham, quarterback, was visibly limping towards the end of that game in the fourth quarter, but he still stuck it out. And unfortunately, none of these guys were seriously injured. And it sounds like, you know, most of these guys should be good to go for Florida State. But enough of that. So that we're not sitting here for two, three hours talking about a game you've already been rehashed several times over. We're going to go dive in straight into the big three like we do every week. Big three. The big three headlines of this game. And number one, I'm going with energy, effort, key in UCF win, crucial versus Florida State. Now, one of the biggest, I mean, there were a lot of bugaboos heading into this game for Louisville, but one of the bigger ones was that, yeah, Louisville was not playing great football, but it's one I've heard this saying a few times that you can be bad. You can be boring. You can't be both. And Louisville was both (laughs) against Ole Miss and Eastern Kentucky. I mean, they, they looked listless, not only the on-field product, but on the sideline, there was just no energy and like certain units, such as like the offensive line and the wide receivers to an extent. And sometimes some of the guys dropping covers, like the linebackers and some people on the outside in the, in the secondary, They looked like they weren't not giving their full effort. And all of those things showed against the Rebels and the Colonels. And that played a large reason as to why Louisville got off to such slow starts in this game. And then minus the first five minutes of the UCF game where Louisville went uh, to midfield, stalled stalled on a fourth down conversion, and then two plays later, Gabriel throws a dime. Outside of that opening sequence, like Louisville ticks up a notch because I, I remember watching that game play out and after watching Louisville go for it on fourth stall at midfield and then Gabriel just effortlessly go down the field for the game's first touchdown. I thought Louisville was toast, like just full disclosure. I thought Louisville was about to get boat raced out of their own gym and to their credit, they, 
they kept up the energy and the effort needed to win against an opponent of that caliber and not only, not only played well, but ended up winning. Now, granted, they needed a couple of plays bounced their way and weren't completely perfect, but they did what they needed to do to escape with a convincing win. And that's probably what I'm most excited about from watching that game. Cause it's, it's one thing if they go in there and they win, but they don't look good doing it. And then you're left with some questions like, yeah, they won, but what's the potential of this team really? And then after seeing what happened on Friday night, you have a lot more confidence in them going forward. And your, your preseason expectations are kind of reverted back to that. Cause I know a lot of people, myself included, and you don't expect this team to be a bowl game, six and six, seven and five, maybe with an eight and four ceiling. After those first two games, you got people questioning not only if they're even going to make a ball or if it's going to be the downfall of, of Scott Satterfield as a head coach. And now you have a lot of people, not everyone, because I know there's some people out there that are still questioning if this is the right fit, which I believe he is, but that's a whole different conversation. But this was a program, not program altering, but a staff altering win because of kind of what was on the line, not inherently like, yeah, sure, if they – they were if they lost this game, it would have just been a loss in the in the loss column. But that would have had lasting, potentially lasting effects, depending on how they went out and put in no performance. No doubt, I was I was thinking it's like we talked about last week on the show. I mean, this game right here can set the whole tone of the season for all for these guys right here. And I think we found a lot a, a lot about our team. Uh, Mike always talked about Coach Mike always talked about. Uh, responding to adversity in the locker room. How are we going to respond to adversity? When adversity is going to hit in this game, you don't know when it's going to hit, but when it hits, how are you going to respond to that? And like you said, whenever Gabriel scored that touchdown, that's exactly what was going through my head. I was like, all right, these guys here, they have the talent. I look at the sideline. Nobody really looks dead. Nobody, I mean, it just looked like they scored a touchdown. They were like, all right, so what? They scored a touchdown. Now we got to respond. We're going to throw some punches back. And, no one was hanging their heads. The dog fight. I, I'm, I'm hoping it continues into the Florida State, game, Florida State game. I assume it will. But, I mean, going down, it doesn't matter how bad Florida State is. You're still going down to Doak Campbell Stadium, which is always a hostile environment, no matter how atrocious yeah. Florida in, State in, is. Insert, insert Janice Winston, Florida State in the locker room. when he's, we're, we're Florida State. It's Florida State. That's a W. Let's yeah. eat it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's still a hostile environment. It's your ACC opener. There's They need to carry that momentum in. And I, I feel like they will because, like I've already said multiple times, they looked good in UCF. I mean, UCF is a team that can put up 80, 90 plays and not even think twice about it. And the coaching staff on both the offense and defense surprisingly called masterful game plans. Satterfield – thankfully abandoned that predictable vanilla place calling style that we've seen over the last season or so and kind of, you know, mix it up a little bit. That, that was I mean, fun. To, that was fun to see. It seemed like there was a lot more stuff that we would have ran in the bowl game against Mississippi state, you know, getting shown in the third game of the year, which was very refreshing. And I mean, now I'll, I'll save it for, I'll save it for my notes, save it for Vince's game notes. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, now let's get into headline number two. Offensive line capitalizing on positive momentum. Now, we've already talked about how energy and effort was kind of lacking the first two games. And it was uh, leading to slow starts. And one of the bigger reasons outside of, you know, just being overall listless was that the offensive line was not performing to where they were supposed to be performing. Because going into the season, uh, their praises were sung to and from 
This is one of the more experienced position groups on the entire team. And honestly, a a lot of people thought it could be one of the the strengths of the team, myself included, at least on the offensive side of the ball. I I, thought the strength, I I thought the strength was going to be the offensive line. I think it was probably going to contend with the linebacking core as potentially the strongest position group on, on the entire roster. And through the first two games, they just, they looked lost. They were, they had guys with a lot of misassignments. They were not generating the push needed yeah, at all. No, no push those first two games, which was the complete opposite of uh, Friday night. Yeah, it, and then a, a flip switch so from uh, Friday night. They look, they look amazing. I mean, granted, it wasn't perfect, but they looked like they were on the same page. It looks like they were communicating a lot more. They looked like they were playing. They were getting the push they needed. They were playing on the defensive side of the ball more often than not. And they, they they just overall looks better. I mean, that's there's no other better way to say it. I mean, like the eye test says a lot when you know breaking down offensive linemen, and just watching them play, they just looked better. The uh, the thing that I can live with, like you said, Matt, was the effort. Uh, I can live with a missed assignment here and there or whatever, but as long as you're going full speed, you can correct correct a mistake on the sidelines when you're going full speed. You can't correct effort. Effort is between you and you. And watching those dudes go out there and finally put it all together. I mean, they didn't put it all together, but the effort, them driving, pushing. I mean, I saw Cole Bentley driving his legs like no other. Like I haven't seen in over a year. It was amazing. And it's like uh, Caleb Shander and uh, Cole Bentley said earlier this week. It's not like the entire line at any given moment was all having missed assignments. More often than not, what was happening was four guys on the line were doing their jobs or you know, doing their jobs to the best of their ability at that moment. And then one guy was, you know, completely blowing his assignment and just letting his defender go scot three. I think the best example of that was that throwback pass in, in the old Miss game when uh, Cunningham throws it back to Smith. Smith throws it to Cunningham and he's got five blockers right in front of him. Four guys follow their assignments. And then unfortunately, the one guy, Michael Gonzalez, just Whiffs. Whiffs, completely whiffs on his block. And that's a touchdown that only goes for maybe, you know, five yards, however many it went. But there were very few instances of that against UCF. They were, like I said, they were all on the same page. They were communicating. And and Bentley said uh, yesterday, I believe it was, they were clicking. They were, they knew, they just needed a reminder of what their potential is and what they can do. And it's nice to see them have a game like that because when you go on the road against this particular Florida state team, and I know they're awful right now and we'll get into in a moment why the energy and the effort and the overall positive momentum was so important for this offensive line, but like they just needed a period. And especially against this Florida state front seven, which leads me into headline number three underrated Florida state front seven awaiting Louisville. Now, like I said, Florida state, I mean, bleep this out. I'll, Jacob, I know you're probably listening to it now. Bleep this out. Florida State's dog shit. I mean, I'm sorry. They're 0-3 to start the season. They started, you know, on a relatively high note. They fe- they hosted number nine Notre Dame in their own building, took them to the wire in overtime, ended up falling just 41-38. to 38. At the time, you're thinking, okay, is, is Notre Dame just not that great? Which, I mean, the answer is more than likely yes over yeah. the last like five, yeah. five or so years. Or – is Florida State this much better? Because before the season, <laughs> I was not sold on Florida State at all. Nope. I didn't, 
I did, just didn't see enough of them from year one. And I know Mike Norvell, he, the jury still out on if, if he'll get it get bleh, get it together or not. You just gotta let the cake bake there. I know a lot of fans here should take notes from that. But uh, sorry, I had to get that one in. No, you're good, Matt. He's but I, I, I just <laughs> yeah, I just, I just didn't think that Florida State was going to be able to have it all materialize in year two. And then after that first game against Notre Dame. I was kind of just sitting back like, okay, I might have to eat some crow here. This might be, you know, a slightly formidable team. And then they lose to Jacksonville State. Yeah, that's bad. That's a bad look. It's a bad look for losing, sure. I, not only that, losing on a walk-off Hail Mary to FCS Jacksonville State. By the way, <laughs> nothing encapsulates this loss better than the guy who proposed to his girlfriend on the field with Jacksonville State still yeah, in the background. Yeah. I, I might have to hold that one off for just another week. I mean, week or two, <laughs> let us get a win or bye week. Bye week is a perfect time for stuff like that. You know, you have time to go see mm-hmm. family, set things up. I mean, you could have did it right and got some good stuff, good pictures and everything. Yeah. And then they, they went to Winston-Salem to face Wake Forest in a game where Florida State actually averaged slightly more yards per play than the Demon Deacons. It's just that Florida State had six turnovers yeah and nearly double digit penalties they're they've not been good at all that, that's and turnover wise and that's really what's been shooting them in the foot a lot outside of the turnovers and the penalties florida state is actually not awful at moving the football i mean their their receivers aren't are, i mean are not the greatest at uh, beating man coverage it, it's kind of in the same situation Louisville is with their receiver core there's not really anyone that's you know breaking out but they're, they're running back to Sean Corbin I mean he's I mean he's averaging six a 7.6 yards a carry he's got 280 yards only have a, has a pair of touchdowns but he's got the potential there it, it's just that this offense is and just this team in general is so mistake ridden that it's not giving themselves a proper chance to actually compete but I say all of that to say there is one area that Florida State excels very much so in, and that is in their front seven, specifically on their defensive line. Now, this team is in like the bottom 100 in terms of total offense and total defense. But oddly enough, they are 10th in the nation at sacks per game with four, and they are 19th in the nation at tackles per loss, tackles for loss per game at eight. That's just, that's pretty good. They've got a uh, Jermaine Johnson. He's got four and a half sacks. And he is a stud. Yeah, he's tied. He's tied for most in the country. So it's not going to be a cakewalk. I, I can joke all I want about the Florida State Jameis Winston thing, but I mean, it is Florida State. They have dudes all around that field. It's just whether or not they're going to be able to put it together against Louisville. And like you said, Matt, that front, the D line. That's going to that's gonna be a challenge for Louisville, and I, I think our guys are up for that challenge. I think they might be ready to, to go handle some dudes. Yeah, it, it kind of ties into the, the second of the big three headline. The offensive line needs to have another really good game because, like you said, it's not going to come easy against this Florida State front seven. Georgia transfer Jermaine Johnson's got seven tackles for loss, five sacks. Amari Gaynor and Kalen Delote, not Amari Gaynor, um, um, Amari Gaynor and one other guy on that team, uh, Kira Thomas, they've got two and a half tackles for loss in the sack. And then there's three other guys on in the front seven 
who also have two tackles for a loss and a few have sacks. I mean, there's guys all over there dotted all over the, whether it's defensive end, defensive tackle, linebacker, buck, whatever some of their linebacker positions they have. There are guys who have the ability to beat the, these offensive linemen and get in the backfield. And the offensive line needs to carry that positive momentum and continue to, as they said, con- to click, fire on all cinders, cylinders or what have you, and, and have a good game. Because I, I still think Louisville probably wins this decisively because I'm, again, not convinced and yeah. on this Florida State team. But, but if there is a blueprint for Florida State to come out with a victory, it would start with the front seven's ability, especially the defensive line, to get in the backfield and put some pressure on Malik, pressure him into making some offline throws or making some bad decisions and st- and closing some of those rushing lanes, rushing lanes, good grief, and limiting Jalen Mitchell in his ability on the ground. I mean, there there's a way for Florida State to win, albeit all their other weaknesses on the field kind of, you know, open up the rest for a potential level win, but – they need to be on their P's and Q's up front. Otherwise, well, Florida State could creep into this one yeah. and potentially steal one. It, it could either be that, a, a potential steal, or it would be a, a ugly, very, very ugly win. And I feel like Louisville fans would not like that. I know I wouldn't like that with how good this Florida State team is. I mean, they've allowed – I mean, they're 110th in the country on points allowed. Uh, yards per play, they're 73rd. They, I mean, they're – there's plenty of spots where you can take advantage of where they're not good at. But like we've been harping on, this D-line of theirs, if they get us to play behind the change and get us in second and whatever, I mean, are you all confident yet in Coach Shep being able to fully open up the playbook and continue that momentum, or will it be reverting back to old habits and continuing to run the triple option with the dude running a bubble or an outside zone play to try and gain those yards back, which I'm fine with. I'm definitely fine with. On right. As, as long as they work and the play calling in the situation makes sense. Cause there were, I mean, Satterfield still ran some of his bread and butter plays, but some of the situations that he called them in made a lot more sense. Like we saw a lot less of the, you know, second and long or third and long runs. And when it came to the running game, period there there weren't just like stretch left stretch right he he's they seem to incorporate a lot more of the inside zone plays and that also kind of is coupled with the offensive line's ability to actually make those holes because in those first two games those holes were not there and now that they were there they were able to kind of diversify the offensive attack a little bit which made it harder for UCF to try and contain it it was it was pretty uh of watching us against UCF and whenever we played uh EKU the Jalen had a long run, or it might have been Ole Miss. I, I can't remember at this point. It's everything kind of runs together for me. It's, <laughs> it's football season. But yeah, uh, there was a play good. where Jalen broke for a long run, and he still had to break a tackle in the backfield, opposed to where it was pretty to watch Jalen just kind of get through the hole and go ahead and get on that linebacker's toes so that linebacker's not making that play, you know, in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage. I mean, I promise you, I trust Jalen Mitchell to break – at least one tackle or run a dude over oh, yeah. or fall forward. That dude is a bowling ball machine. If we could just get a little bit more speed on my dog, we might have something. Working. And and, and I, I know speed is important in, in this modern age of football, but it, it really seemed like Jalen Mitchell was doing a much better job at just running dudes over. I think of that Marshawn Lynch meme slash interview where he's like, they just can't stand to run through a face over, yep, and, over, over and over and over and over and over. And over. But, I mean, I'm not saying 
Jalen Mitchell's Marshawn Lynch, far from it. I mean, there's only one beast mode, yeah. but I mean, he, he was doing a much better job at not only taking punishing punishment, but delivering it. Now, yes, like you said, let's kind of work on the 40 time a little bit, <laughs> but baby steps. And But I'm liking the baby steps that we're seeing so far. Uh, I love Jalen. Jalen, since the day he came into that building, he's one of the, my locker was right next to him whenever he, uh, he early enrolled and I was still part of the team. And I was one of the dudes that with the new staff, I was going to try and give myself every opportunity to get on the field as a walk-on. So I was getting up there about 6.30 and I see one car in the parking lot and I get in there and I'm like, oh, there's Jalen already in the hot tub, cold tub doing his <laughs> thing. I'm like, there goes me being first one in the building, last one to leave. Jalen Mitchell's got me beat. And he's one of those dudes, he keeps it up, keeps it up, keeps it up. So I think we're going to see some very good progression from Jalen, not just throughout this season, but for the following year as well. I'm, I'm just excited for him as a player and as a person. Oh, absolutely. And before we segment segue into one of my favorite segments of the show, your game notes, I, w- I wanted to talk about a couple more things. One, Malik Cunningham, he had an amazing game. And we, and we know it's kind of break, a broken record at this point because it seems like every other game he, he does exceedingly well. But I know a lot of the notion heading into the season was he's being more defined, becoming more of a pocket passer. Uh, going through his progressions and his reads more, you know, kind of sitting that pocket and becoming that solid passer, which I know it's great and all, but I mean, he still has his weapons as legs. He just has to know how to use them. And it seemed like against UCF, that was the most electric and decisive as a ball carry that I can recall seeing him. Cause I mean, there, there've been games where he's racked up a lot of easy rushing numbers and touchdowns just because of the, the looks the defense is giving him. But it seems like against UCF, he was being more decisive, more methodical with his runs and yeah. really taking it to UCF. This this was – I don't want to say it's uh, Malik Cunningham we're not used to seeing because we, we are very much aware of what, what he's capable of with his legs. But this was a level of his dual threatness, for lack of a better term, that we hadn't seen in, in a while. Yeah, Malik turned – he hit a different gear on Friday night. I mean – to watch him stick a foot in the ground, go flying in the air like that and score a touchdown and get up. And I mean, he's excited. Everybody's excited. He, he's just a tough, tough dude. I mean, he's had that one knee injury at the start of 2019. And I think that's about as banged up as Malik Cunningham's really been injury wise, knock on wood. I mean, the dude was hobbling, visibly hobbling in the fourth quarter. And he's like, no, no coach, like keep me in here. I got this. Dude's a gamer coach. Well, yeah, I mean, he might have been hurt. He might have been a little, you know, sell it for the crowd. But yeah. I, the, dude, the dude's a gamer. The dude shows up on game day, big moments when you need him. Is he going to make a mistake here and there? Yes, it's football. That stuff's going to happen. I just hope he doesn't make an interception mistake or fumble mistake. I'm just – I'm happy for him. I'm, it was awesome to see him take those, take those licks and keep going. Right. And then lastly, before we segue into the also also glorious Vincent's game notes, give Brian Brown and this defense their roses, because this was a team granted. I know when you're facing Boise State and Bethune Cookman, I mean, you're just going to put up large numbers by default. But this was a UCF team that was averaging over 600 yards of offense, like 50 something points per game, running 80 to 90 plays a game. And and it seemed like UCF, yeah, UCF did put up numbers. They put up 420 total yards of offense. They put up 35 points. But that's not nearly what we've come to come to seeing out of UCF, especially in the last year and two games 
under Dylan Gabriel because like we've seen what Gabriel can do. Gabriel is a uh, Heisman candidate, dark horse, dark horse candidate, excuse me, for a reason because we can see, I mean, he's basically Matt Corral light. Yeah. He's the AAC version of Matt Corral. 100%. 100%. And, and the fact that not only was UCF quote unquote limited to the points and yardage total, but Gabriel had his first un- sub 200 yard game in his UCF career. Not only that, but this high-flying, high-tempo offense was limited to 63 plays. Louisville ran 76, and they didn't even look like they were going that fast. So it was, it was a masterful game plan from Brian Brown, number one. Number two, the guys on defense played as poised and as focused of, of football as I've seen all year. There were very few, excuse me, there were very few alignment errors. There were very few missed assignments. And the tackling just looked better. The open field tackling, I mean, it was great. It wasn't, it wasn't elite, but it yeah. was really good. There were very few missed tackles. Now, of course, when you're playing a team like UCF, they're, they're going to get there just because of the scheme and the talent that they have. Yeah, no, no, but, no. but limiting them to what they were able to put up was a phenomenal effort on, by both coaches and players on the defensive side of the ball. What, what I enjoyed was uh... – I, I was trying to find the tweet, Matt. I couldn't remember if you tweeted it out to, uh, from Coach Brown's interview or if somebody else had, but they were telling him not to call the blitz that he called that last play. Yeah, it was in, it was in his availability that today. That is <laughs> my dog. I love Coach Brown for that reason. That man will go out on a limb. He trusts his players, and that's why guys play so hard for this man, for Coach Brown and Coach Satterfield, is because they trust their players. It is a player-led team, and – Coach Brown, Coach Brown's got some balls, man. He's going to, he's going to let it, if he feels good about a call, he's going to make that call and it it paid off for us there at the end. Yeah. His phenomenal handiwork over this defense continues to make itself known and it damn sure made itself known on Friday night. And all right, enough talking about the UCF game. Well, I guess not enough talking about because we're about to talk some more about it just in a different fashion. (laughs) Now for one of my favorite segments of of this entire podcast, and we have, and we have a good lot of them. But this is one of my favorites because of how immersive it gets coming from someone who actually was in those rooms, played, coached. Now, here's this week's editions of Vincent's Game Notes. It's time to get down to brass tacks. It's Vince's Game Notes with Vincent Lococo. Vince, what do you got? So, obviously, we already talked about Malik. That's a a decent chunk out of what I, what I wanted to highlight for my notes, number one. Oh, well, well uh, bad. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good, bro. But Malik was 23 at 38, 265 yards, uh, had one touchdown, and he had that interception at the end, right? But what I was happy about, and I told you all at the beginning, yes, we hadn't found our playmakers at the wide receiver position, but Malik had 10 different wide receivers or Louisville offensive players who had caught a pass from he had five that caught two or more. To me, that shows that Malik is learning the offense more. He's getting more submersive into his playbook. He's going through his reads, and the O-line is giving him enough time to go through his reads. It was awesome to see Malik. We already talked about it. He went, did his thing. Uh, it was awesome. I wouldn't say Lamar Jackson-like, but that's about as close as you're going to get to anything like Lamar Jackson. There's right. never going to be another one, but Malik Cunningham, you know, gosh darn it, he, he's the closest thing that you're going to get. 
Right. And, and of course it was, it was nice to see Marshawn Ford have his career day. And that, and that's something that's not getting talked about enough. I mean, as we know how good Marshawn Ford is great blocker, great pass catcher. And it's crazy that at this point in his career is when he, he has his first hundred yard receiving game. I could have sworn he had had one already, but the dude had a career day, eight, eight career reception, eight, eight receptions, hundred receiving yards, both career highs. And was, the, the the dude is on a mission to be named first team all ACC, and I am championing this. He he will be he deserves his recognition as one of the top tight ends in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Yes, Marshawn is definitely. It's hard to classify him as a tight end, right? Because Marshawn's got that weird size where he's yeah. definitely more of an H back. I mean, he came into Louisville as a wide receiver. So, but it's it true. It was great to see Marshawn finally get his touches, and you see how much can open up when guys like Marshawn touch the ball, or even as I'm getting into my second game notes, uh, Coach Sat opening up his playbook. Everybody was harping on the second down, whatever. Well, I'm not included. sure what went on, <laughs> what went down, what went on internally. If it was uh, you know, Pete got to him, Vic, whoever, whoever talked to him, or if it was just Coach Sat internally saying, I need to change things up. He changed things up. He threw the ball more on second down. He called the runs on second down whenever it became situationally uh, situationally possible. At the same time, we didn't become too predictable. Yes, I did see there were some uh, UCF players when Marshawn motioned out from three-by-one uh, formation back into the backfield to be right there next to Malik's hip. There were some UCF guys calling out the outside zone play. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were pointed out, pointed out, pointed out. But I did like how we got – we mixed Isaac Martin into the pass game. One of our huge tendencies, I don't know if you've noticed in that, is whenever Isaac Martin's in the game, he's either blocking on a run or he's going to block on a pass. He caught the ball this week, and that means that's putting something in Florida State's brain right there that we got to prep for that. Okay, if, 40, if 41's in the game, they might be throwing him the ball. It's not just Marshawn Ford now. Like We, we have to practice pass with both of these tight ends in. Yeah, that's one more guy out of the out of the backfield who you think is going to block, but is actually an eligible receiver. Exactly. And I was talking to you all last week about the motions. So against Ole Miss, we just ran the motion, whatever. Guy went across on a jet motion. Last week, we pitched the ball. We tossed it. We tossed it to uh, Josh Johnson. We set the motions up early. Boom, boom, boom. We tossed it to Josh Johnson. We get a 44-yard game. Now, we toss the ball to Braden Smith. Teams practice that. They practice it, practice it, practice it. And I hope you kept practicing it because we're throwing that <laughs> ball back. It was awesome to see Braden Smith, former quarterback, him and Tutu used to have uh, competitions last year to see who could throw the ball the furthest. And I won't, you know, I'll let them duke that one out themselves. Right, right. Uh, and, and I love how in regards to that play, they said that they ran it in practice several times. And every time it just is didn't deliver whether the projection it, it wasn't there. It always works like that. It, it'll never work in a game. It'll never work in practice, never work in practice, but you get that itch and you know it's the right time to call it and, and it's going to work. Uh, it was cool. My last game note right here, Matt, now that we can get back on our on our program. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the defense, like we talked about, I mean, they gave up some points, but they did not break. We bend, but we don't break. Q Cole, if it wasn't for that interception, Q Cole made the play of the game, in my opinion. Oh, that, absolutely. That pass breakup was something that you had not seen, and I I can't think of recent memory, Matt, of a player who's – you probably have to go back to 2017, 16, 
Chucky Williams or Josh Harvey or right. somebody along that. Uh, That's probably one of the more athletic PBUs you'll ever see because he he didn't get a lot of vertical on it, but he used his length to a full advantage and timed it perfectly. Yes, he, he he did get beat a little bit over the top, but he was still able to put himself in the correct position and time it just good enough to where he was able to swat it away. That, and that, that was, was just crazy. impressive. I, I was, I felt good about our safeties after that play. I've been, I've been so happy. I've been talking on the show about our safety play. Kendrick, Kendrick's been phenomenal for us. Tackling could be a little bit better in coverage. Kendrick's not really your man-to-man cover guy. He's a big dude. But just right. seeing Q Cole go out there and make a play that we haven't seen in years at Louisville. I mean, maybe since Holloman. I mean, it was just, it was wild. And Alderman, like we've already spoke about, that was beautiful to see. Yasir Abdullah is a stud that dude is i mean is he gonna, you, Matt, he's, you think he's gonna have he's, some all acc first team votes this year he, i mean the dude he, he might i mean it, it's a it's a crowded uh linebacking core across the acc but i mean if he keeps this up he he might get himself some significant all acc votes because i mean who who on this team is outside of abdullah is the best pass rusher i mean who even gives him any competition to that title i, I, I would vote I would vote Monty. That that'd be my one vote. Would be Monty Montgomery. Would be your other. But speaking of sacks, Yaya Diaby showed up the other day. Mm-hmm. Yaya Diaby. We've been talking about those injuries with Yaya. Obviously, us not being internal in that program, we don't know the extent of what all is actually going on. Whether it be an injury or something mental, right. a mental block with Yaya after calling out ten sacks and not recording anything those first two games. But it was great to see Yaya, and if Yaya. He just needs to know his role, play his game. He can be a difference maker, and he can him and Yasir can set some crazy stuff up, like some picks, things like that, some reps. So it's about that's all I got for you guys on the game notes. For and, and speaking of Yaya, real quick, I, I did think it was interesting how in the in this week's depth chart, how at that position at D end, Yaya and Ashton Jelani were listed as or. And I, I'm not sure if that speaks more to how I don't want to say disappointing. Yaya has been to start the season, but kind of in that air because I mean when you when you set a goal of 10 plus sacks and you and you only log one tackle for the first two games, I mean that, that's gonna kind of that's gonna raise some eyebrows. But on the on the flip side of that, when you see how good I mean just flashy the Ashton Gelati's been and, and how he's shown his potential on down after down after down and, and gotten through uh, to the backfield on several occasions. That, I think that probably speaks more to some of the progress that Ashton has made as a pass rusher, as a defensive lineman, versus you know how Yaya has started the season. Now, does it play a role? Sure, but I mean it, it's hard to deny Ashton more playing time when he's playing at the level he's currently playing at now. And this isn't even scratching the surface. He has he's just a freshman, and he's just just barely starting to tap into his potential, and he's already getting close to cracking the starting lineup. Yeah, you guys, I enjoy Ashton Gelati while we still have him for these three years because I truth, I truly believe that kid's going to be three and out. I think he's oh yeah, he he's a freak of nature. I enjoyed Coach Brown mentioned the nickel package in uh, the interview today, and you know maybe you can work Yaya in at that nose position right there and not necessarily have him just go forward on a bull rush or an angle or anything like that you can bring him around on a rap call or something like that 
I, I love that package now, bringing in Chandler Jones as a safety and, you know, still leaving yourself with Greedy and Trey and Kendrick and Q Cole. I mean, CJ and Monty, give CJ Avery his flowers. Excuse me. That, that dude <laughs> is a leader. I mean, that, that he goes, that defense goes as CJ goes. It's, it's great to see. I texted I text him the other day, just said, I'm so proud of you, the leader that you've become, just watching it before my eyes. It's, it's amazing. So. And then he was like, thanks, bro. Oh, yeah, he hit me with the thanks, bro. Wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I called it. All right, we, we rehashed everything that went on at UCF. We touched upon the upcoming opponent. Now it's time to put a bow on this episode and give us some game predictions. I will go first. I, I mean, obviously, I think Louisville's going to win this game, but I don't. I think it's going to be a blowout? Question mark. I do think that Louisville is going to put up points against this defense. I, I think there are the offensive line is going to carry their momentum into this game. The secondary for FSU has been a little bit suspect. They've been, they've not been very great in man coverage. So I think even with this young receiving core, that Louisville is going to be able to break through on on certain occasions. Now on the flip side. Obviously, I'm not sold. Like I've said I've, uh, multiple times on this podcast, I'm not sold on Florida State. But the one thing they do is that they actually do a decent job of moving the ball. And now it really depends on which McKenzie Milton decides to show up. If it's going to be, you know, like the good UCF type McKenzie Milton, or if it's going to be the one that th- that had four tur- uh, turnovers against Wake Forest. I hope it is too. I hope yeah, no kidding. Is. I want to see that back up in the game so bad. Ooh. Ooh, that, who Jordan Travis or Chubba Purdy? There's a Chubba couple backups Purdy. there. With... I want to see Chubba Purdy in the ball game, and I want to see all ears pinned back. Oh man, what a sight that would be! But I, but I say all that to say I think I don't think Florida State is going to commit the amount of turnovers and overall mistakes they did against Wake Forest. I still think they're going to come, but I, I think they're going to be able to generate a little bit more offense than they did against Wake Forest. So I'm going to go with Louisville 42. Florida State 28 now and I'm curious uh, what your retort is going to be and what your prediction is going to be uh I I actually thought 42 points same as you Matt I think we're going to be fine on offensively I think the O-line is going to come out and I'm not really surprised you or I Matt I think I think they're going to dominate this D-line I think they'll be fine yeah. I think they'll carry this momentum from UCF they're going to see okay this is how we play successful football this is how we win games we might make some mistakes here and there, but we can live with that as long as we're going hard and our efforts there. I just think that Florida State's offense is bad. Like I don't yeah. think I don't think McKenzie Melton. I mean, the injury. I've had two ACLs myself. I know, just he almost lost his freaking leg. Yeah, it's, seeing him come back was one of those college football stories that you'll never forget. Like Alex Smith, but I don't think he's very good. He's not the same McKenzie Melton of old nor do I think Chubba Purdy is ready to step into that role. Well, I, I don't think Chubba's going to see much time. I think if anyone replaces Milton, it's going to be Jordan Travis. And they've got a very weird quarterback dynamic because Milton is more of the field general, but he, he doesn't have like the athleticism and the, the raw power to just chuck the football down the field. Whereas Jordan Travis is the exact opposite. He doesn't have as gra- as big of a grasp of the command as the offense does, but he is – a far better athlete. He can use his legs to scramble and he can chuck that rock downfield. Uh, I believe that Mike Norvell came out and said that Purdy is their number two. Yeah. Also is, here, Mike Norvell. That, that is right. Purdy That's right. Will be FSU's backup. 
Yeah, listeners, uh, so, forget the last 30 seconds. That is right. I do Jordan, Jordan that. Travis is unavailable. And speaking on Jordan Travis, great kid. Awesome. Happy for him over there at Florida State. Hate him every time this week, though. <laughs> yeah, it, beat, it, it was. It I want to beat, just... beat him bad. But I, I'm saying 42 to 14. I, is that what I said? Yeah, 42 14. Yeah. I think they're just going to get two touchdowns. It's, And I don't even think they're going to be bad touchdowns. I think, uh, I think Florida State might just hit us on two plays. I don't think it's going to be long, sustainable drives. Uh, it is hard to play in that stadium, though. I, whenever we went there in 2019, it was far from packed, far from packed. And you still heard the chant. You heard the chant. You heard it all. You still got the vibes of you're at Florida State, the tradition in that stadium and everything. So it, it's going to be a hard game initially, I think, but I think we'll just run away with it. I think Malik will come out and we'll just take advantage of the weapons we have outside and continue that strong run game that we had. Yeah, no, I, I do agree. Doak Walker is going to be it, – it not going to be. It is one of the tougher places to play in all the ACC, but considering how FSU has performed to start the season, I don't think it's going to be a very crowded stadium. That uh, I will say one thing about traveling to FSU. That is my least favorite hotel to stay in as an opposing team. <laughs> I mean, and anybody – Do you have I'll any, like, bad stories? Years. Grant, if you're listening to this, man, that you know that was the worst trip. We had to share a bed. It was awful. I mean, we walked into that room and dropped our suitcases and turned around and was like, y'all have one bed in this room? <laughs> I mean, it was bad. But their food is <laughs> unbelievable. So that's it. If y'all want to talk some away trips and I can give you some highlights on that, that's that. So just, just, real, just real quick before we wrap this show up, what are some other road trips that rank up there among the worst other than uh, FSU? Florida State definitely was the worst. Uh, I remember just NC State wasn't it, – it's not like it's bad hotels or anything. It's just Florida State was noticeably bad. Like everywhere else you go, you just get put in a normal hotel. You got two beds, yeah. whatever. You got your ice bucket and cooler full of water and all that good stuff. It's just a normal – got the, you, you got the Motel 6 down in Tallahassee is what you're trying to say. <laughs> yes, and you're out on a golf course, man. You're out in the middle of BFE. And you're like, you're like, whoa, like there could be a gator. You, you've seen that video of the gator walking on the golf course. Like that looks like that. Which one? It seems like there's tons of them. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, that's a crazy trip. My favorite, my two favorite were uh, Wake Forest, had my own room. And then of course, uh, I, I, Notre Dame, waking up and just looking out onto that campus. I mean, you're not even looking at the campus, but just looking out. I had a beautiful view that morning. That, that's you just get the vibes whenever you're there that, that was beautiful campus yeah I've heard nothing but good things about that but anyways let's go ahead and wrap this up it's going to be an interesting game this weekend uh like I said Louisville heads down to Tallahassee Florida to take on Florida State Saturday September 25th at 3 30 p.m on ESPN 2 I believe I'm not sure the actual channels, but I mean, y'all have y'all have Google. You can you can look it up. It's on the ESPN too. But anyways, this has been yet another much more chipper episode of From the Pink Seeks. Jacob Lane, we're sorry you couldn't make it. This is a fun episode, but you know you got to tend to your babies. I'm Matt McGavie. You can find me over at si.com/slash/college/slash/louisville. This has been Vincent Lacoco. Vince, where they can where, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Vincent Lacoco. Exactly how it sounds. L O C O C O. It's the luxury of having my last name. The, uh, you don't have to put any numbers or anything behind it. Yeah, since my name is McGavick, I've had my fair share of explainers on how to pronounce and say it. But I digress. Vince, I look forward to watching this game, and I look forward to reconvening with you next week, buddy. 
Yes, sir. Go cards. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up. All with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.